No? No, no, I step back over here. Okay, I will, my mic's on, I'm not sure what's going on there, but I will try to talk loud enough for you to hear me. If not, is this on? The podium mic? Okay, I'll just try to stay put today. Uh, I don't know how that's going to work. We'll, we'll see. But Matthew chapter 6, thank you, Ricky, for leading us in our back-to-school prayer, our back-to-school blessing this morning. Uh, school, for most of you, is probably starting this week, or maybe some of our teachers have already started. So raise your hand if you're excited for school to start back. Okay, some, mostly it's parents who are sending their kids to school. Uh, how many of you are a little bit nervous or anxious or fearful or worried about starting school. You can admit it. It's okay if you are. Uh, now, if you're looking at the screen and it says, don't worry about your life, you know, you may feel like you're getting tricked into that. But I think it's natural when you're starting a new school year to feel a little bit of anxiety or a little bit of nervousness. I hate it when people give the advice, oh, don't worry about it. I think that's terrible advice because I think what people mean by that when they say, don't worry about it, what they really mean is, I'm not as emotionally invested in this as you are, so you should just not care like I don't care. The only time when somebody says, don't worry about it, when it's good advice, is when they know something that you don't know. And then it's good advice. Like if they know, okay, you're getting a raise or you got that job or something good is about to happen, they got some inside information and they say, don't worry about it. Then you know, okay, good. They know something I don't know. That's when saying don't worry can be good advice. And here in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 25, Jesus says, don't worry about your life. And I imagine Jesus knows something that we don't know. And if I trust my life in Jesus, I have to trust in what he's saying here, that he knows what he's talking about. Now, most of my life, I would not have considered myself a worrier. My grandmother was a worrier. She passed away a few years ago, but most of my life, she spent every day watching the news. All day long. And if you watch the news, there's a lot to worry about because we live in a crazy, chaotic world. And that's what the news stations do is they try to fill your head with fear so that you'll keep watching them. So she was always worried about what was going on in the world. But more specifically, she was worried about the weather. She watched the weather all the time. And if on Tuesday they were telling you there's a chance of some bad storms coming on Saturday, she would start calling everybody that she knew to tell you the apocalypse is coming, don't go outside on Saturday, you know, there's going to be tornadoes everywhere. That's how she lived her life. And it was always kind of a running joke for us, but in my mind I thought that is what it means to worry. My grandmother is a worrier. I'm not. Until I became an adult. And then I realized there is a lot to worry about. I graduated college in 2008. And six months after I graduated, I started getting phone calls and bills in the mail from the student loan companies telling me the grace period is over. It's time to start paying. So 11 years later, I've been paying these loans for 11 years. And about once a year, I'll do the depressing thing and I'll look at how much I still owe. And it's amazing to me to look at that and see 
I've been paying for this for 11 years, and it's, the total's not going down. Like, something is weird. And I start to worry about that. I worry about, am I ever going to pay these off? Am I still going to be paying my student loans when my kids go to college? Those are things that I worry about. We worry about paying bills. We have to make rent or house payments. We all, a lot of us have families that we have to take care of. And so, we, we, naturally, there's a lot of things that we can worry about. We can worry about our health. Uh, this past month, man, we have been sick more than we've been healthy. We've had sinus infections and ear infections and bronchitis, and then it went away, and then it came back. And then on Friday, I went to the Walmart pharmacy on Gilmer Road, and when I walked up, the lady said, hey, Mr. Garner, what can I do for you today? That, that's bad when the people at Walmart know you by name because you've been there so much. But I've been on the phone with our insurance companies, and I'm starting to think, I hope we don't get really sick because I don't know why we even have insurance because I don't know if they cover anything. So I really hope we don't get sick. So there's so much to worry. Is anybody else with me on that? You know, there's just life. That's life, right? There's plenty to worry about. But then Jesus says, don't worry about your life. I love how James read our scripture this morning, Matthew 6, 25 through 34. And I want to read it again just to set the tone. To really soak in what Jesus is teaching here in Matthew chapter 6. But I want to say this about the context. This is the Sermon on the Mount. So the Sermon on the Mount is Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. The most famous sermon that Jesus ever preached. Um, this is kind of in the middle towards the end of the sermon. And Jesus already in the Sermon on the Mount has said a lot of what we would call radical things. Jesus says some crazy stuff, some really wild teachings, like don't just not murder somebody, but don't be angry with them. It's not just don't commit adultery and physically act on it, but don't even look at someone lustfully. If somebody's mistreating you, turn the other cheek. Pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies. Don't fast and pray and give so that others can see you. Do those good deeds in secret. Don't love both God and money. You can't serve both. Those are some of the things that Jesus teaches on the Sermon on the Mount. But I'm starting to think that the text that we're reading today, that may be one of the wildest, craziest, most radical things that Jesus ever taught. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 through 34. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And can any of you by worrying add a single hour to the span of your life? Why do you worry about, the, about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, what will we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear? For it is the Gentiles who strive for these things. And indeed your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. 
So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. So you can imagine being in that original audience. From the context we have at the end of Matthew chapter 4, the type of people that were flocking to Jesus were people who were poor financially, people who were poor in spirit, people who were outcasts, hurting, diseased, and these are the people that are coming to hear Jesus teach. So if you're in that first century audience, that original audience hearing these teachings, don't worry about what you're going to eat, don't worry about what you're going to drink or about what you're going to wear, don't worry about your life. Well, that would have been a radical thing for them to hear because most of them probably did not know where their next meal was going to come from. Most of them probably did not know what they were going to eat the next day. They didn't have pantries like we do filled with food. Most of them, you know, they don't have refrigerators that have food in it. They don't have options, hundreds of options in town of where they're going to eat. That's what it is for us. We, we have to decide where we're going to eat. They didn't know if they were going to eat. So Jesus telling them, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about food. That would have been a radical thing for them to hear. But imagine us in the 21st century. Sometimes I read through this and I think, did Jesus have in mind a 21st century audience? Do you think this teaching is still possible today? Is it possible to apply it and to live it out? We live in a very fast-paced and stressful world. So how is it possible to just not worry about your life and not worry about all these things? Maybe you feel like the guy in this picture. I think this describes me most of the time. I, I, like I said from the beginning, I've never considered myself a worrier until I became an adult and realized there's a lot to worry about. But I would say that my mind has always been hyperactive. I have a lot of thoughts going all day long, and even when I'm trying to go to bed at night, and I'm learning to try to discipline those thoughts and try to filter those thoughts so that I can get some sleep and so that I can relax and trust God with my life. So I practice spiritual disciplines. There's a lot of exercises that I try to do to help take these thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ. But I've mentioned last August, I did a sermon series on mental health. And because it's August, again, I thought it would be a time to return to a similar topic as we focus on, with our vision, Christ in you. What does it look like for Christ to dwell in us? And what does it look like for Christ to dwell in our minds. And one of the ways that I like to work on my mental hyperactivity is through doing something physical. So last year, I, around this time, I joined a gym. It's a, part of this gym is they offer mixed martial arts. So they have boxing and Muay Thai and kickboxing and they have uh, jujitsu and things like that. And I thought, hey, that's something I should do as a 34-year-old dad, I'll go try that. So on Monday nights, I signed up to take these boxing classes through a trainer. It was also something that I could do that would be outside. You know, we moved here in a long view, and all of our connections are church people, which is a good thing, but I thought maybe I should try to branch out a little bit and meet some people in this community that aren't a part of this church, and that would be a way to do it. And then 
Uh, Garrett Bradshaw is back here right now. He, I saw him on day one. I was like, well, there's a church person right there. But So Garrett and I share this together. But uh, for weeks, I would go and do this boxing training on Monday nights. And towards the end of the sessions, the guy that was training me said, I think you're ready to spar. You're ready for a little live action. So next week, we're going to spar. It wasn't given to me as an option. And I was scared to tell him no, but I was thinking, this is not what I signed up for. So I got a mouthpiece. I showed up the next Monday night. He wrapped my hands, got all ready. He had picked a sparring partner for me that was about my size. Um, I wanted to wear the protective headgear, and he just kind of laughed at me and said something about how we're not wusses around here. And I'm thinking, man. And the boxing ring was being used, so we got inside the octagon. If you've ever watched UFC, uh, you know, it's a cage. And then you get inside there, and it was me, the trainer, and the guy I'm fighting. And they closed the cage door, and they said, lock it from the outside. And I'm thinking, like, man, what's happening here? And uh, we, they rang the bell, and we started. And I was really tense and nervous, didn't know what to do. So I, I threw a few jabs because that's what you're supposed to do. And the guy didn't really do anything. It didn't phase him. So I did it again. And then all of a sudden, he came with a right cross and punched me right in the nose. And I, I went back up against the cage, and I... I let out this loud grunt. I was like, ugh. And they, were like, they stopped. They said, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, that just really hurts to get hit in the face. And the guy that was training me said, oh, it doesn't hurt to get hit in the face. And I was like, dude, you've been doing this way too long. Uh, that hurts. So we went three rounds. I tried to do the best I could. Not very good at it. I got in the car that night. My head was pounding. I'm like, I, I hope I don't have a concussion and it's safe to drive. But then it dawned on me. While I was sitting in the car, I was like, there's, there's got to be a better way of dealing with my mental health <laughs> than getting punched in the head over and over. There's got to be a better way of dealing with, with stress. So for my life, for your life, as followers of Jesus, we have this promise from Jesus that he offers us this inner peace that a lot of us are still chasing after, and we chase after it in so many different avenues. But somehow, someway, Jesus says, no, I can give you this. My load is easy. It's light. I can offer you inner peace, but you've got to trust me. So Jesus tells us not to worry, but we live in a world where there is a lot to worry about. When Jesus says, do not worry. The word that he used is this Greek word, merimanaho. And it's a compound word of a verb and a noun. Uh, the verb is to divide. The noun is the mind. So when Jesus says, do not worry, literally it means to divide the mind. So he's saying, don't divide your mind. Don't be double-minded. You know, Jesus had this singular focus. So there's a technical definition of what Jesus means by worry, but what are other ways that we could describe worry? How do we understand what worry is? I've mentioned a, an author to you before. His name is Dr. Archibald Hart. I've read several of his books. He's written books on mental health. He's written books on anxiety and stress and all sorts of things like that. And he's, his, some of his teachings are kind of driving the motivation behind this sermon series. And he gives worry some clever definitions. And one of the definitions he gives of worry, he says it's interest paid in advance on a debt you may never owe. Worry is interest paid in advance on a debt 
that you may never owe. So basically, we spent a lot of time in our minds worrying, overthinking something that may never happen. Interest paid in advance on a debt you may never owe. And another definition he gives is worry is like a rocking chair. It will give you something to do, but it gets you nowhere. Isn't that true? I mean, that's a pretty good definition of what worry is. As a staff, we have meetings on Wednesday mornings, and usually we'll do a little Bible study, and it'll be something that I'm preaching on in the future. So over a month ago, we studied as a staff Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 through 34, and I was taking down some notes of what they were saying, and one of the definitions of worry that I wrote down, I can't remember who said it, but it's borrowed trouble. Or worry is the thing that keeps you up at 2 or 3 a.m. And when you have to go to the bathroom, and then you can't go back to sleep because something has entered your mind and you can't get rid of it. Does anybody else do that? Okay, some of you are, are open and honest today. I, I don't know what it is, but I appreciate that. You're, you're actually nodding your heads and admitting it. We all worry. We do think. We stay up late. We overthink things. Jesus says, who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life. Matthew 6, 27. So worrying is not going to help you live longer, and maybe another way of looking at that is worry is going to make you die earlier. Another translation of Matthew 6, 27 is, who of you by worrying can add a single cubit to your height? You're not going to get any taller by worrying, and you're not going to live any longer. So you may be, uh, your lifespan may be shorter and physically, you may be shorter if you spend too much time worrying. So there's some consequences to worry. In Matthew 6, 30, you know, the, most of this section, Jesus has taught about the birds of the air. God takes care of the birds of the air, and you're more valuable than they are. Or the lilies in the field, the grass in the field, God clothes them. How much more will he take care of you? He says, you of little faith. So when we spend a lot of our lives worrying, a lot of our mental space worrying, that debilitates faith. It weakens our faith because we try to live independently of God. And so when we spend a lot of our mental space worrying on something, we're not living by faith. Now, I've kind of appealed to your heart a little bit. I've given you plenty to worry about bills raising a family, health insurance, all that kind of stuff. I've talked about, I've appealed to your head a little bit. We've talked about the definition of what worry is. Now let me appeal to your reasoning just a little bit. Isn't some worry good? Can't some, sometimes worry be helpful? We don't want to come across as lazy, and surely Jesus is not promoting laziness here. Uh, Tony mentioned my song requests are not in our songbook, but it's uh, Do Not Worry or Don't Worry, Be Happy by Bobby McFerrin. And then Bob Marley has the most popular song, Three Little Birds. And I would sing it for you, but I don't know how. But he says, don't worry about a thing because every little thing's going to be all right. You know this song? It's very relaxing and it sounds nice. And it makes you feel like, yeah, I shouldn't worry. But the problem is when you look at songs like that, most of these artists were probably high on drugs. So they weren't worried because of that. But later on in life, they're going to have something else to worry about. So what does Jesus mean by not worrying? Surely it's not in the Bob Marley style. Is Jesus teaching us to be careless or irresponsible? What does he mean by worry? Can we not make provisions for ourselves? 
Don't worry about tomorrow. Well, I have a retirement account that I pay into every month. We have savings in case something does go wrong. Is that wrong? Or what about if you're worried about your health, like something is on your body or something's bothering you or something's not right and you're worried about that and that leads you to the doctor and then you find out there is a problem and then you get the proper medication. So wouldn't that form of worry be a good thing? So there's a difference between worry and concern. When we worry, it's fruitless mental activity that leads us nowhere, kind of like that rocking chair. Concern is mental activity. It's thinking about something that leads you towards a solution. Concern is when you actually take some action. So the problem with worry, I believe what Jesus is talking about in Matthew chapter 6, is when worry goes overboard. When it warns you of dangers that do not exist. When worry becomes our inward condition. When worry becomes a part of who we are on an everyday basis. So what do we do about it? Well, in the text that we read, I think Jesus gives us at least two bits of advice. In verse 33 of Matthew 6, he says, Strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Uh, Most of your translations probably say, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So I think the first little bit of advice, the antidote for worry, what we should consider, because we all worry, every human being is going to spend time worrying, and if we get caught up in that, if it becomes perpetual or chronic, we may have to think about what is our first pursuit in life. What's our first pursuit? Think about the things that Jesus says not to worry about. Don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink. That's about survival. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. That's about status. And most of us, and that's 2,000 years ago, and we still worry about those things today. So Jesus did know what he was talking about. Most of us, our first pursuit in life, our goal in life, is more, even if we don't want to admit this, it's more about wealth. Maybe it's more about prestige, or maybe it is status and the way other people view us, or popularity, or acceptance. Our actions show that that is our first pursuit in life, but Jesus says, here's what you do. Seek first, strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Not our righteousness, but his righteousness. Three weeks ago, I did a sermon on faith, family, and Jesus. And we looked at Luke chapter 14 where Jesus says, you cannot be my disciple unless you hate your father, mother, brother, sister, even your own life. Which is a crazy thing to say. Jesus says a lot of wild things. But I told you in that sermon, I think the focus is your priorities. Jesus is demanding your absolute allegiance. He's demanding to be the number one priority. And it's the same thing here in Matthew 6, 33. What's your first pursuit. Strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then everything else will be given to you as well. That's easier said than done, right? So what would need to change in your life? What would that look like in your life if God were your first and primary pursuit? 
And then the second bit of advice comes from the end of this section, Matthew 6, 34. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. So I think the second bit of advice he's telling us, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow hasn't happened. We don't know what's going to happen. That's what worry is when we start predicting what's going to happen in the future and we obsess over it or we're obsessing over something that happened in the past. But I think what Jesus is teaching us, if I could summarize it into two words, is to be present. To be present with the day that we do have because we're not promised tomorrow. To be present with the people around us, and most importantly, to be present with God. You've probably heard me mention before this name, Randy Harris. He's a professor at ACU. Uh, he's been a, a great teacher in my life. And if you've ever listened to Randy Harris or read any of his books, you probably at one point or another have heard him say, multitasking is from the devil. And his point is, as Americans living in the 21st century, we always have our phones out or our tablets, our devices, or our TV on. We're always trying to accomplish a lot of things at once. And he says that because of that, we're almost never fully present in the moment, never fully present to each other. And I think what Jesus means by don't worry about tomorrow is to be present in today. To be present to those around you. To give them your undivided attention. It's kind of frustrating when you're talking to somebody, but they're looking past you because they want to talk to somebody else. And we all do this, but we could try to practice being present with people, being present with our spouse, being present with our children, and being present with God. Our first pursuit in life should be to know God. And then Jesus says, be present with God on a daily basis. Be present with the day at hand. Set healthy boundaries for yourself with social media and with emails and all the other things in life that cause distraction and really cause us to worry and our stress levels to rise. Set healthy boundaries and be present. Last year I did a sermon series on prayer. And in this sermon series I mentioned uh, the serenity prayer by a guy named Reinhold Niebuhr. The serenity prayer goes like this. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things that I cannot change, the courage to change the things that I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. A great prayer. It's been very helpful for my own prayer life, but the prayer that Reinhold Niebuhr originally wrote out doesn't stop there. The prayer continues. In the next paragraph, he says, living one day at a time. Enjoying one moment at a time. Accepting hardships as the pathway to peace. Taking, as he did, this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it. Trusting that he will make all things right if I surrender to his will. That I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with him forever and the next. And then he says, Amen. So I'm starting to look at that second paragraph of that prayer and thinking about how it can influence my own prayer, prayer life, and I'm really drawn to those first two lines of the second paragraph. Living one day at a time. Enjoying one moment at a time. To be present with the day. To be present with the moment. To be present 
with God. There is a lot that we can worry about in this life. We're human. It's natural. It's okay. It's a problem when it goes overboard. There's a difference between being worried and being concerned. And Jesus asks us to trust in him when he says, don't worry about your life. Get your priorities in line and strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And God knows that you need these other things and he will take care of you. And don't worry about tomorrow. And I think it's okay to have your calendar filled. I got lunches planned this week. I got things coming up on the calendar. But I'm not there. I'm here. Be present in the day. And maybe by eliminating worry from our life or decreasing worry, we can be calm people in a very chaotic world. And when we're calm people in a chaotic world, there's a really good chance that the people around us will see Christ in me and will see Christ in you. That's what we want. This morning, some of you may be thinking, well, one big worry that I have is life after death. What's going to happen to me? I don't want you to spend time worrying about that. If you've ever thought about salvation or eternal life or life after death, you don't have to worry about that because Jesus offers salvation. And in just a moment, we're going to offer an invitation. And if you're worried about that, if you're worried about your eternal life, talk to one of our shepherds who will be around the room. Come up front, talk to me, or grab one of us after the service and talk to us about it. If some of you are living life and you are really genuinely, inwardly messed up right now, and you're struggling with worry, anxiety has taken over, maybe you're struggling with depression, you're not alone. You can get help. I think the next step would be to find someone, to talk with them about it, and to begin praying and trusting in God. So we're going to have shepherds around this room. We're going to sing a few more songs. And if you need to respond to the invitation this morning, you are more than welcome to do so. I want to invite you to stand and sing.